Tonight we're going to be discussing uh, a lady who is really nameless, but she's a Syrophoenician woman, and the title of the message is The Syrophoenician, Syrophoenician Woman's Faith. <laughs> Not much for titles. <laughs> I don't, so I just try to, I want you to get the bulk of the message. So don't let the title grab you or uh, release you, shake you. <laughs> but tonight we're going to talk about a woman. She's from the modern day area of Syria. And as we look at, at this story tonight, it's one of the most confusing stories that you may come across in the fact of Jesus's interaction with this woman. A lot of times when we read the, the verses, you may tend to feel the need to defend Jesus. He looks rude to some extent. But remember, this is how we need to come to these these situations that we don't understand. Rudeness is sin, right? If you're rude to someone, that's sin. It's mean. Jesus is sinless, so you got to take root out of it. <laughs> Amen? So we must understand that Jesus is perfect. He is sinless, spotless, and he really doesn't need to be defended. It's, you know, the Bible, the, the, one of the, the older preachers, I think it was Spurgeon, that said, we don't need to defend Jesus or the Bible. We just let him like a lion out of his cage. <laughs> Amen? But in every encounter with someone, we see that there's there's the words that are spoken, but there's also things that are happening behind the scenes. These are real people in real circumstances with real emotions. Tonight we'll be in Matthew, the 15th chapter, verses 21 through 28. And I want to look tonight at an exam that Jesus gave this desperate lady. And as well as an exam, I guess you could say that the disciples ended up watching and seeing. It's one of the greatest stories in all of the Bible, in my opinion. I know I'm biased. <laughs> I like every story pretty much in the Bible, but Matthew 15, 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, remember, we talked about this, if you were here during week two, about the area of the Decapolis, Tyre and Sidon, all of those areas. But this was a place where there was a lot of pagan worship. I want to show you a picture of, of uh, it's not the real picture of Moloch. Moloch was worshipped in modern-day Lebanon. These were places of intense idol worship. When I talk about idol worship, this is what would happen. The people would get together and they would worship this statue, and they would heat the bottom area where you see the flames. And they, they would sacrifice their kids on the altar. They would put the child in the hands and this statue would, would get hot and it would burn and it would, it would basically kill the child. And they would offer it as a sacrifice to Molech. And you see the guys that are right here, they're beating the drums. According to Rabbi Rashi, when he was talking about Jeremiah 731, they would beat the drum to drown out the child screaming so the father would not have emotion. This was insane worship. I'm telling you this because when you understand idol worship and you understand the thought process of the Jewish people who are monotheistic, meaning they worship one God and they're looking at this Gentile world that is doing things like this. But remember, the Jewish people ended up doing stuff like this as well because their hearts would drift from God and they would go into idol worship. They also worshiped the goddess Asheroth, which was a goddess of fertility, as well as the god of, they would call it Baal. And Baal was really, it's kind of like our mother nature. 
They worshiped Baal as far as nature was concerned. So these areas of these Gentile areas were looked at among, from the Jewish people's point of view, depending on where they were in their own faith, as complete idol worshipers. I'm telling you this so to set the stage of what you're going to see with the lady that comes out of this area. Which brings us to our first point in this encounter. Number one, bring your request to Jesus when you're praying. Praying. You know, when we look at Christmas and we look at lights and all these different things, and we, we look at, the you know, we have prayer and fasting that's coming up in the beginning of the year where we pray and fast for, for 21 days and seek the Lord. I wanted to really delve into an aspect of prayer. I think that prayer is good for all seasons. It's good for every single day, every hour. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. But I want to bring you a story that may help your, your prayer life, enhance your prayer life. That's the goal of this message tonight, to help us in our prayers. Fifth, Matthew 15, 22, And behold, a Canaanite woman came out of the region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Now think about this, and behold, really is an intrusion from this Gentile lady coming into a Jewish situation, interjecting, and you know, Jesus is walking, he's ministering to the Jews, and in comes this Gentile woman, and she exhibits humility. This is really her first test. Now remember, this Canaanite woman was a Gentile. When I say that, I mean she was an alien to the commonwealth of Israel. She was an idol worshiper. She was a slave to sin. She was headed for eternal damnation, much like we were. Unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. So it's good news for her, and it's good news for us. Now, Jesus was in town, and his miracles were all the talk of the area. She had the privilege of encountering the king of kings on this day. The Bible says that she began to cry out to him, meaning she began to scream out with great emotion. She began to, to cry out raw desperation and emotion. Listen, many people bring their requests to Jesus kind of in a lackadaisical way, right? Or they come sometimes, maybe not us, who would just say, people come demanding, right? Lord, I'm a king's kid. Your word says this, and I expect this to happen, right? Hope no one does that. But people do. They come they, they come boldly, but that's boldness and arrogance is two different things. We don't come in a lackadaisical way. We don't come, hey, Lord, I pray that you do this, 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 and this, lackadaisical. But we don't come in a bold, arrogant way or irreverently demanding anything from the Lord either. There's just something about coming to the Lord, requesting a desired need that is great. The Bible says to come boldly to the throne of grace during our time of need, right? We spoke about this with the friend at midnight, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, that we come boldly, which means persistently, knowing that God is who he says he is, that God is good, that God is able to do all things. It's not the amount of times that you come to him that gets him to answer. It's the fact that I know that he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he loves me, he died for me, he wants what's best for me, he's in control of my life, he has full reign to do whatever he wants, and I'm coming boldly asking my father to answer a request for me. Now the priest, you know, they say the priest, 
would go into the, the Holy of Holies once a year and they would tie a rope around the ankle with a bell. And if the priest had any thoughts or whatever, when he came in during that time and, and he had an improper thought or whatever, sin popped up in his mind or whatever, they would have to yank him out of the presence of the King of Kings, of, of, of God in the mercy seat behind the curtain. It, it, so when I say that, think about the joy and the privilege that we have to enter into the presence of God, not fearful, not worryful, not sweating, wondering if he's listening or he even cares. We All we have to do is look at the cross. Jesus died on the cross for you and I to have access to God Almighty. That's the greatest news you will ever hear, and you should hear it every day of your life. So coming to God is still the greatest opportunity that you and I will ever have. Now she says, have mercy on me, son of David. This was a Jewish address. She had no right to call him son of David. She was not Jewish. But being in this area, she must have heard of all the miracles, and she must have saw him as the awaited Messiah. But here's the truth that we should be thankful for. That we don't have to come to God with perfect words, right? We don't have to have the perfect emotion when we go to God. Just because we're weeping and crying doesn't mean God's like, oh, I'm going to answer your prayer because you're crying. I'm going to answer your prayer because of this or that. It doesn't have to be this perfect, elaborate speech before God. It's the postured heart of faith and humility. He just expects faith. Now, she was out of position, she was unscriptural, and had absolutely no right whatsoever to ask anything of Jesus. And she says, have mercy on me. This is the key for her pain. Remember, if you, as we continue to read, her daughter is demon-possessed, and she is here on behalf of the daughter. Okay? So you can come to Jesus on behalf of someone else, right? I know we know that but I just want to make sure that you really see. Because, you know, a lot of times when we pray, we're thinking, I wonder if this is the issue. I wonder if this is the issue. Listen, just come to Jesus in faith. Ask for someone. Ask for yourself. Just ask the Lord. She proceeds to tell her that, tell him that my daughter is demon-possessed. Look at what it says in Matthew 15, verse 23, which is the second point. Persistence is not faithlessness. I want you to understand that. It says, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, send her away. She's shouting after us. <laughs> That's not the best situation when you're reading it. But this is what we need to understand. Jesus ignored her request. But there's a reason when you understand the culture. Rabbis were not to talk to women in public. They didn't even talk to their wife in public. They didn't talk to their aunt, their nanny, no one. They, they, in public, they did not regard women. They did not talk to their own wives in public. She is a woman. He is a rabbi. She is a Gentile woman and he is a rabbi. So not only is she a woman, she's also a Gentile from, from the Greek area, the Decapolis, that, that place we talked about with all the idol worship. Now, remember this, Jesus is in full training mode with his disciples. So this is not an inappropriate response from a true rabbi. It would seem scandalous today, but it was not scandalous 
back then. So Jesus did the right thing according to the belief system of that day. But we will see that he is what he's doing is he's broadening their theology. He's broadening the and challenging their thought process by what they're doing. Earlier, it said that she cried unto him, meaning she cried repeatedly. We see the disciples get aggravated with her. And Jesus does not like the religious tactic that is ingrained into that culture of that day. Believe me. Jesus gives her an exam and the disciples watch. But Jesus is slick. He's stay with me with this. He's playing by the rules on the flip side. He knew that if he did anything wrong in this capacity, that a mob could easily come and begin to accuse him. And believe me, he was being accused enough by the things that he was doing, and they were not wrong. Remember, there was a cultural code of that day that they expected rabbis to keep, which makes Jesus even more, because he was able to do all of these things without sinning. You see, there's rules that people put on you, but... It's the, it's the rules that God, that, that God is what matters. Example, when we saw blind Bartimaeus a while back, remember this blind man came up to him? We read it, it's like he probably was either helped up or he walked up to him and he's blind. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus was not being unkind. Remember, there was a, a, a practice of begging that people used for financial gain back in those days. And Jesus was just making sure that this is a real need. So that's what we need to understand. Jesus is not unkind to people. Now we see he gives her an exam, and this is one way that he does it. He, he shows disinterest. In other words, he makes it as if he's not interested or indifferent. But all the while, we see that he's, he's affirming a truth to the disciples that they already knew. Look what it says in Matthew 15, 24. He answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So finally he answers and it seems like a rebuke. This would have severely tested their faith and her faith. Jesus gives us insight to his mission. He says, I came to the Jews. He was fulfilling messianic prophecies. God's plan was that the Jews would evangelize the world. The, Jew, the, the Jews would receive Christ and then the Jewish people would would evangelize the world because in Romans 11 11 it says rather through their trespass salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous so it's interesting that Jesus said he came to the lost house of the the lost sheep of the house of Israel because Israel did not realize that they were lost so that tells you about the church there's many people that are in the church that don't realize that they're lost. They're religious, but they're lost. Right? That's a key factor when we look at the things of Israel, and it's a type and shadow of what Paul said that we should learn from. Presently today, many people feel like, because I come to church, because I do this, because I do that, I'm in. It's your faith in Christ alone, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm always going to say it, Till I'm dead. Your faith in Christ justifies you. Just as if you never sinned. Then you live out your faith in its sanctification. And that is the, that's the works that is being produced by your position in Christ. It's not the other way. It's this way. A lot of people are religious and they think they do. And they're not justified because they have no faith that exhibits that they believe in Jesus. They're just religious and lost. 
Amen? Number three, ask, then worship. Matthew 15, 25. Then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now think about this. When you investigate both accounts, you see that Jesus walks away from her and goes into a house. I'll read it to you in Mark 7, 24 and 25. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. So Jesus walks away from her, goes into a house. She runs into the house. She falls at his feet. Two rebuffs at this point, And the story picks up at the feet of the master. And her response is moving. I wonder if she could picture her child crying. I wonder if she could picture her child ranting and raving as she laid in her bed, demon-possessed, with all of hell pulling at her soul. How many of you would have given up at this point? But notice she goes from asking to worshiping. This is the principle I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring out here. We ask God for our need, but we don't, but we, we, sometimes we just stop, we just ask and ask and ask. If you worship, it helps you in the asking because you believe, it's like when you come to the Lord and we say we talk about persistence, we ask God to do this. God, please do this. Please do that. A lot of times that persistence and that worshiping helps you deal with the fact that you're getting into God's presence. You're not worshiping God because you asked, right? You're asking, and now it's producing. I know that he hears me. I'm worshiping him. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for being attentive to my prayer, right? That's what she did. She asked, and then she came in, and she worshiped. She came in earlier saying, Son of David. Now she's saying, Lord. Think about that. She was not deterred. From, from who he was. My question for you tonight, at what point do you start to doubt his lordship in your life when a prayer has not been answered? I wonder how many people have walked away from the Lord because their prayer was not answered. I want to tell you tonight, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, no matter how it turns out in your life. And that's the best news that you can hear. Because he is king of kings, he's king over the world, he's king over your circumstance, he's king over everything. And when we get to this point where we want to twist God's arm for some reason, it starts to devalue how we see God. Let's never do that. Let's go to God saying, God, I know that you're still king, I know that you're still Lord. And you know how that's going to grow when you start to, to really have to plow out your faith, I guess you could say. Let's look at two key factors that come come in at this point, which brings us to point four. Humility and faith postures us for the answer. This is the fact that she had pure faith. In other words, she kept on with her petition. She knew that he could meet her need, right? She didn't go to the disciples. She went to Jesus. And we see that she recognizes, when we read later, that even a small piece of bread that falls from the table is good enough. Wow. Look at this example in Matthew 17, 19 through 20. I want to read something to you. Then the disciples came to Jesus and asked privately, why could we not drive it out? Meaning another demon. I don't mean to be on demons for the past couple of weeks, but here we go. 
And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, that is your lack of firmly relying trust. For truly I say to you, if you have faith that is living like a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to yonder place and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, we always hear about the mustard seed, right? I have, somebody had given me a mustard, some mustard seeds, and it's in my desk. And I look at this. I couldn't even bring it up. You wouldn't even be able to see it. But there's something so interesting when you look at the agricultural science. And I don't want to sound whatever, but it's, it is very interesting if you follow with me. People have this, this, came up with an, a, a way to make hybrid vegetables which means it changes the DNA. You know, follow me and you will understand what Jesus knew way back then with the kingdom. To get corn to be a perfect corn that bugs will not eat, you take the DNA from the cucumber and you mix it together. And the only way that the cucumber and the corn can come together is you have to introduce a virus. In other words, make the corn sick and then it will accept the, the DNA of the, of the cucumber. And the, and when you mix this to, together, it keeps the bugs off of it. So what science has discovered that a mustard seed cannot be hybrided. The mustard seed can never be anything other than what it is. It refuses all viruses. There's no way you can make it anything other than it is what it is. Another thing about the mustard seed is it loves garbage. It grows best in the most contaminated, infested areas. Are you getting this? Now, how interesting is it when we reexamine the parables in light of this understanding? Jesus compares his kingdom to a mustard seed. It can never be anything other than it was created to be. It cannot change. It cannot be introduced to anything that will change his DNA. It's a self-defining code. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and it cannot be invaded, it cannot be changed, and it can never be destroyed. Then when we look at mustard seed, along of childlike trust, it gets even more interesting. The mustard seed is afraid of nothing. It grows where other plants would be choked out. It withered for lack of nutrients, eaten by bugs, infested by, by disease. But in this type of environment, it thrives. Do you see the implications regarding our faith? Does your faith grow in difficult circumstances and impossible environments? I can tell you it should. When it's tested beyond endurance, it does not turn a deaf ear, but it thrives. When you are beaten and when you are crushed and circumstances are in garbage is destroying you, if you have pure faith, which means, God, I don't care what happens, I'm in, I'm not moving, I believe you have the best for me, and I believe that you will do whatever it is that your sovereign hand wants to do, and I will put all of my faith and all of my trust, your faith will grow. That's where it grows. It doesn't grow when he answers this prayer and this prayer and this prayer and this prayer. It, grow, it grows when it seems silent. When you feel like you are in the desert and are forgotten, that is where your faith will grow. Now, does, 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 does that infect your faith? In other words, in those types of situations, does error, does falsehood, does sin, does identity come in and try to choke it out? The mustard seed is pure and unwaving, undefiled. And here's the thing. It grows in the soil of God's will for your life. 
1 John 5, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. And we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. The soil is his will. You see, when I pray according to his will, sometimes I don't know what his will is in the situation. I have my preference. Believe me, I will tell you how I think God should do it. And you would too. Yeah, you, you would. God, this would be tremendous if you did it this way. But nevertheless, not my will, God, your will be done. Those moments give you unwavering faith. Like Peter, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Here's the life application. Ask in faith, pure faith, the purity and persistence and trust of who God is, and he will answer that prayer for your life. That's a guarantee from the word of God. His will, you pray everything and you funnel it through his will. Now, humility stands out as a jewel in this situation. Despite these rebuffs, she is at his feet. Now, many times we may say, you know, in our prayer time, oh, how dare he not answer? Do you know how much I've given up to follow him? What have we given up? We've given up dirt for diamonds. If you think about it. What, I gave up a, a seat at the bar, throwing up all, all over my friends and myself, hugging a, a, a toilet? I gave up that, and that's like, oh, man, that's... I, I should have caught my head and gave that up sooner. Right? We, we like, oh, I gave up this. No, we gave up the trash of, of our lifestyle in this world for the glory of heaven that will never fade. Amen. But salvation, sometimes we, we develop this. I'm a king's kid mentality and God needs to do this. And this is the time schedule. Listen, that's that's foolishness. You know, I know that. <laughs> yeah. God knows. <laughs> Matthew 15, 26. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's a slap in the face. Correct. Here's the third rebuff. Back to the lady. Jesus takes the theological attitude of the disciples and brings it to a live action, played out conclusion. In other words, this is what he's saying. He reacts and he's thinking, I'm verbalizing what you're saying. You're saying she's a dog because she's a Gentile. So I'm going to verbalize it. Jesus is saying, I know this is awkward, right? Obviously, this is an awkward altercation. But I'm fixing to show you unwavering faith. He's using this situation to show the gloriousness of her faith. And he's showing them this is not how you're supposed to be viewing this lady. See, Jesus was for women. He really was. He wasn't against women. Back in those days, they viewed women differently, but that's not how Jesus views them. I love reading the interactions of Jesus with these ladies in the Bible. It's tremendous. It shows that, listen, if there's many churches that would be shut if it wouldn't be for the ladies of the church. Amen. He calls her a dog, which they would have understood quite well. But in the Jewish culture, a dog was not a pet. But the good thing is he calls her a little dog in the Greek. In other words, 
a dog was a little bit higher than a pig. Yeah. I have an English mastiff that looks like he's eaten a couple of pigs. But they were wandering the streets and they were scavengers of garbage. But however, for the disciples' sake, he's trying to break their mold that's ingrained in their thought processes towards women and towards Gentiles. And, you know, you can feel a certain way about something when you see it on TV, right? You can have a thought about anything and say, oh, I can't believe that. But when something happens in your own front door, your own surrounding, you might see it differently. It's easy to have an opinion from far away, but when it hits your door in your house, you may see that situation differently. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, yeah, y'all think she's dog, she's a dog, and we'll, we'll go with that. Now look at it in per, and this, this is what it looks like played out verbalizing. You feel awkward yet? <laughs> I'm sure they're sitting there like, man, he just called her a dog. But look how different it looks in, when it's in your, in your area. Right. Remember, idol worship and all this demonic stuff was was viewed atrocious to those people back in those days. But he says the children's bread was for Israel, which represented the word of God. But at this point, the Jewish people were really in a worse situation than even the Gentiles. Look at what it says in Second Peter two through twenty twenty one and twenty two. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to the wallowing in the mire. I find it interesting that Peter brings up a dog again. What if that was ringing in his mind? But this serves as a strong reminder that if you sit in the pew, in patty cake with the gospel. Peter is saying, it's better that you never know than just sit here week after week after week and not be changed by the gospel. This is really American Christianity at its finest. We have churches on every corner. We got a Bible on every translation. It's on our phone. It's everywhere. We're steeped in the gospel and it has hardened the hearts of many people around us. And what it's saying is it's better to not hear it than to sit here and be numb. I mean, if you hear the gospel and it's it's good news, good news, and eventually you start to think, man, I didn't heard all this good news. I'm good. You don't realize where you came from. You don't realize that none of us in here on our best day when we read three chapters, listened to 10 songs, led a Bible study is still worthy of him. We're never worthy of him until we come to Christ and he makes us worthy. See, we just kind of think we're good people. That's the biggest lie that the devil can throw at someone who doesn't believe you're good. I'm good next to Charles Manson, but I'm not good next to my neighbor. I'm not good next to God. I'm not good next to the holy law of Israel that condemns all. That's why we have Christ. It's that simple. There's not Christ in all these other gods, all these other belief systems. It's Christ alone that will sail you from here to the streets of gold. Uh, That alone. I think we get to a point where we're just adding Jesus to our already good life. 
That is a farce. Jesus is the good life. And we live out of respect and honor and joy of the salvation that he alone has given us. It's that simple. That's the gospel. Matthew 11, 20 through 24. Then he began, listen to this. This is, this is mind boggling. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. This is where the, the feeding took place. For if miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And Capernaum, which was the headquarters of Jesus' ministry, <laughs> will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than the day of judgment than for you. These people grew up with the Torah. They grew up around the Jewish people. They grew up with God right there. I mean, literally, they say when if you're in Jerusalem and you look up, you're literally looking at the feet of God. That's where his throne is sitting. Israel is the center of this entire world, even on a map. What I'm telling you is to much light that is given, much is required. Much light is given, much is required. It's that simple. You and I are not just given the gospel to just use it whenever we need it. We're given the gospel and a mandate to reach the world, to reach the lost, to reach our neighbor, to encourage our neighbor. We have the gospel, the good news. This is a fact. If you don't have Jesus, you don't go to heaven. God has said, tell people that. And you don't just go to and disappear. You go to a fiery hell. I know that's not popular, but that is the absolute truth. So it makes everything a good news, right? <laughs> yeah, it's good news. If Chemo is not a good news if you don't think you have cancer. The gospel is the shot for sin, and it will destroy wickedness in your heart and mind and allow you to see right with God. That's the gospel. Number five, speak God's word to the Lord, not at the Lord, but in humility. Look at what it says in Matthew 15, 27. I have to hurry. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Think about this. Here is another test. She uses wisdom. She was willing to play the part of a dog. She's like, okay, I understand how everyone feels. I'll be the dog. When I say wisdom, she used wisdom on how to respond. God may want you to do something. God may want you to have wisdom on what doctor to get. God may want you to have wisdom on how to respond to your wife or your husband or your mother. Amen? <laughs> Use wisdom on how to respond to your kids, to your coworkers. She suffers three rebuffs at this point, and she is not deterred, and she is not rude. And he listen, he answered not a word and walked away, he said, my mission is to Israel, and he calls her a dog. But look at what she does. She thunders back. 
with one of the greatest declarations in all of biblical history. She says, yes, Lord, but even dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She acknowledges her position. I know I'm undeserving. I, I get it. I know I'm a Gentile. Molex over there. I, I understand. I know that. And I acknowledge my unworthiness. But nevertheless, you are Lord. And if a tiny crumb falls from your table, I'll take it. That's faith. That is faith. Listen, the Lord will never cast aside a broken and contrite heart. I don't care how far you have gone. I don't far, I care how deep you have gone in sin. I don't care if you got needles and, and things in your arms and you are way out to lunch. God will always welcome a broken and contrite heart. You are never too far where God says, that's it, I'm done with you. Never, 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 never. But despite his responses and actions, she knew he was the answer. She knew the, desp he, the desperation that she felt was, my child is demon-possessed, and I am not leaving here, leaving here without healing. So she quotes the, she quotes it back to him. Yes, Lord, but even the crumbs that fall from the master's table. See, our response in life determines really what we believe. How we respond to God in our situations. Once again, you know, how I know that tells you where you are with God. She's saying, I will claim the crumbs because they are just as powerful because they come from the Almighty, the most powerful King of King and Lord of Lords. And this is a Gentile, pagan, idol-worshiping fool. That's amazing. She turns the negative into the positive. And it wasn't until she took the place of humility that she got her answer. She, she Listen, she, re, she passed this test with flying colors. And this is what the disciples learned. All not just the Jews. Grace trumps groups. It does. Compassion for people. You need to have compassion for people that are not like you, is what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, she's a Gentile. Yeah, she's in that land. But you need to have compassion for people that are not like you. He showed them you need to have respect for women. Don't, be, don't do like, like all these religious people. You need to have respect. And then he taught them humility 101. There's the greatest teaching that you can see on humility right here. But you see, evil or wrong mindsets cannot be redeemed, redeemed until it's recognized. And Jesus did that by submerging them in a situation where it surfaced. Do you see how brilliant Jesus is? He's able to get in a situation, teach this, teach them, bring them together, and God is glorified. Matthew 15, 28, then Jesus answered and said to her, Oh woman, your faith is great. Be it done as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Jesus wanted to give her the answer. He was pulling her to a place that she needed to be to receive it and to teach the disciples. He created this great moment that you and all you and I are in 2019 sitting here talking about this unnamed 
woman and this glorious Christ that we serve. Her faith overcame every hurdle, every obstacle, and the same is true for us. The blinders of prejudice were pulled off of their eyes and they need to be pulled off of ours wherever it may be in the church. Amen. But in spite of all of this, she kept her eyes on who he was and what he could do. And the disciples saw God's heart on display and it was beautiful. Her great faith was evidenced by her persistence. Now remember, persistence is not lack of faith. Persistence in this faith, in this case, was unfailing confidence in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus said, be it done as you wish. Not the daughter, the mother. Be it done as you wish. Think about that. She was the first Gentile lady to be to have said that she has great faith. And her daughter was healed at once. Look what it says in Mark 7.30. And that we're closing here. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed and the deeming Demon having departed. In other words, that demon head for the heels. Can you enjoy, could you imagine the joy this woman felt as she opens up this bedroom door and sees her precious daughter sitting up in her right mind? I can about imagine that her eyes filled with tears. The Messiah has answered my, my, my plea. This is a lesson. Jesus will act on your faith. Don't, don't think he won't. It's faith. We get to a point where we're like, oh, I don't know if I have it. Do you believe? Do you, do you trust God? Do you trust God's will? I don't know how things are going to play out in your life, but I can tell you one thing. God Almighty will be glorified if you look for him in the situation. I want to remind you as well, she was outside of the covenant, right? Just like we were as Gentiles. But we came in through adoption. Now I want to ask you tonight. What are you praying about? What is really down on the inside of you that you feel so burdened about? That you feel like maybe God's not listening. Listen, can I encourage you tonight? Pray about it, but then go into worship. Just worship, knowing that he hears. Knowing that you didn't, you didn't jump through the hoop the right way or you didn't do this the right way. Don't worry about that. Don't start putting stumbling blocks on your faith. Believe that I am following Jesus. I love Jesus. I can expect God to work it out in my life. I just got to listen to what he wants to do. I just got to be mindful of where he wants me to go. But I can expect him to work it out. Listen, it's not the amount of your persistence. It's the purity of your persistence. It's not the fact that I prayed a hundred times. It's knowing that I came to the Lord knowing, right? It's not beating on a door. Come on, man. We talked about that in the friend at midnight. Now, let me ask you something. Have you been just going to God with a grocery list? Can I encourage you? Put the list down and praise. Worship God. Cry out to him. Have you been going to God with faith and humility? I want to encourage you. Stand on the word that he's given you. And when you pray, pray his word to him, not at him. Right? God, don't be like, bless God. You said nothing shall be impossible to them that believe. From where I stand here, God, it looks impossible. So what you going to do? No, don't do that. Don't do that. God, this is an impossible situation. I get it. It's been like this for years. But nonetheless, 
I'm coming and I'm asking that you would remove this situation, that you would give me the grace to deal with this situation. But ultimately, I worship you in this situation. I, I give you all authority. God, you have the authority. That You know, one of the good things about worship, and I'm, I'm going to end with this. This is the time when we could take what this is better worship. Let me see how I say this. I don't want to I don't want you to see, see this the wrong way. When you're on this earth and you're going through everything, right? You're you're in a, 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 a broken state and you worship through a situation. That's pure worship. OK, you're you're saying, God, this is the, the situation and I worship you through it. When you get to heaven, you don't have anything that you're dealing with. It's just worship. So think about how much right now in your circumstance that God is so pleased when you come to him and you worship through your sickness, you worship through your trouble, you worship through your financial ruin, you worship through whatever turmoil is bothering you. You're going to God in the midst of that. That is pure worship. That is pure faith. When you get to heaven, it's almost like it's like a cheat code. You're just good. Everything, you know what I mean? When you, you play video games, you cheat code. The guy runs faster and all that stuff. But with God, you're in a perfect environment. It's going to be amazing. But this is where you are able to exhibit pure worship and pure faith to God. Amen? Do you understand that? All right. just want to make sure. I'm going to throw you down, with throw you off, off course with the video game. Father, we just come, come with every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to pray for you tonight. And you might be here tonight and you might not know Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity. If that would be, if you say, I don't know the Lord. I don't know what you're talking about. I just know that I need Christ. I need him to be the Lord of my life. I just want you to slip your hand up and I'm going to pray for you. I know it's Wednesday night. A lot of people here have already come to know the Lord. But I want to, I want to give you an opportunity. Amen. Okay, that's good. Now, let's do some business with the Lord. Father, we come in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, in whatever situation that my brothers and sisters and I are dealing with, God, we once again, we bring this before you. God, you know the needs that we have. But Father, we don't let that, we, we don't let that sidetrack us. We put all of our faith and confidence in your abilities to handle it. Father, we welcome your answer. We welcome your way. We welcome your will. We ask your will to be done over our preference. Amen. Come on. It takes great confidence and boldness to say, but you got to believe that God is good. God is for you. God is not against you. Father, we thank you right now for hearing and for answering our prayers, God. And Father, we just take this. Let's just take a moment to worship him. Come on, worship him through that situation. Lay it aside and just worship him. Tonight I'm gonna worship you Like there's no one in the room Tonight I'm gonna worship you Like there's no one in
Lord, tonight I'm going to worship you Like there's no one in the world Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I hope you enjoyed the service. I pray that it's ministered to you. And thank you, Nathan, for that song. That was that was that was perfect end for this message. I thank you. And listen, if you have prayer, need of anything whatsoever, come up. We'd love to stand with you and pray. And I believe with all of my heart that God will show himself mighty in your situation, no matter what it may be. I I, I know that. Amen. Good evening.